Hi, I'm Mike Morse. Welcome to another episode of Open Mic. Today we are talking to George Hunter from the Detroit News, a longtime criminal beat reporter over 20 years who's covering all kinds of things in Detroit, especially talking to exonerees and talking about the problems in our criminal justice system, among many, many other stories. And I wanted to introduce you George for a long time because I'm a big fan of sins of Detroit, a five series podcast that he put out last year that I think is really, really good worth a listen. You should do so if you haven't already. Um, but we'll talk to George about all things Detroit and crime. So let's welcome George Hunter to the show. Joining us this morning is Mike Morse, Detroit's top dirty. Mike Morse. Mike Morse is in here to tell us about the backpack giveaway. Adapted, adapted, and change things up a little bit every year. Thanks for having me, Mike. Appreciate it. My pleasure, man. Uh, I've been reading your stuff for years. I'm listening to your podcasts. I think you do a great job. But before we dive in, tell me uh, where you're from, what brought you to Detroit, and um, anything else you want us to know before we dive in. Well, I was born and raised in Detroit. I grew up in the Cass Corridor, um, which was the red light district of the city. Um, in the 70s, when it was the Cass Quarter, they changed it to Midtown now. Um, but back then, it was a very interesting neighborhood to grow up in, very diverse. You hear about the hookers and the crime. But some of my, you know, and I had friends of mine whose parents were hookers, dope dealers, et cetera, dope addicts. And I also had friends whose parents were doctors and, and, and you know, medical people from the DMC. They all lived in the neighborhood. It was really interesting, and I think it helped me a great deal in the crime beat because first of all, you're living in a high crime area. You get, you know, personal experience growing up of not only what families go through when they're victims of crimes. My family would been the victim of crimes, but also the criminal side. I've got criminals in my family, and three of my siblings were Detroit cops. Um, Are those the? No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm not going to make that joke. <laughs> so I mean, I have you know, I have both sides yeah. of it. You grow up seeing both sides of the spectrum. You grow up seeing what policing looks like in a poor community from one of the poor people, um, that sort of thing. And, and and it's an education I wouldn't have traded for anything. How did you not become a cop if your family's all cops? Uh, I guess you could equally ask the question, how did I not become a criminal when I okay. had right, That's you know, the next question. We, yeah, Don't we, uh, rush me. We, we, uh, we throw it in the ocean and see where the tide takes us, I guess. You know. So why journalism? What, what uh, brought you there? Well, as a kid, I lived on near Cass uh, and I, not far from the public library there, the main branch. And and I would walk down there and I'm, I'm a Tiger fan. So I would go through the old microfilms and I would look up Ty Cobb, Hank Greenberg, those days. You know, I was fascinated. My grandma used to tell me about it. And so it fascinated me for some reason. So it wasn't anything highbrow, I promise you. I was going down there to read about the old Tigers. You know, I was 12, 10, 11, 12 years old doing this. And I just sort of fell in love with newspapers and, and the notion that you're a historian. I love history. The idea that maybe a hundred years from now, somebody will read one of my stories. And, and I think that's, I feel a really strong responsibility about that, that I tell people what happened and take my biases out of it, what Emerson called a transparent eyeball. Uh, I want to tell you, I want to be, I look, I'd come to journalism from a history. I just want to, I want to make a record of what happened uh, and I covered Detroit crime. So my job is to make a record as, 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 as comprehensively as I can and as unbiased as I can of what happened here in this time and place. And you've been on the Detroit crime beat for how long? How many years? Since 98. 
And for the so uh, twenty two for the news for the news. I've been at the news for twenty five, and I was in business at first, and then I went on the crime beat in ninety eight. Then I, I was on the crime beat in Macomb County for a few years, and then the Western Wayne. But it's been pretty much crime that whole time. And I think I came. I was on the Detroit police crime beat from ninety eight till around two thousand or so. Then I went out to the suburbs, covered the crime out there for a while, did the Tara Grant case, this stuff like that. Then I came back to Detroit police, I believe, in 2007 or 8, somewhere in there, and I've been on there since. So before we talk about uh, you know your podcast and exoneree stuff, it, it feels like there's so much going on right now with Detroit police, Detroit yeah. crime, federal agents threatening to come into Detroit and help the Detroit police, even though they're not asking for help. You know, I'm, I'm reading in your paper and other papers and in news sources about crime rates and violent crime being up. And there's certain people saying we need the federal government to come in and help the Detroit police. Um, what's your take on, on everything in the moment, what we're dealing with right now? Well, specifically to feds, um, you know, in Detroit, that's a sore spot with a lot of people. They, I grew up hearing the stories of tanks rolling down Cass Avenue in 1967. So I think when you say feds, I think people think that. I don't, and Schneider just, I mean, the U.S. Attorney Schneider, he just had a press conference moments ago um, about this. And from what I heard on the radio, I didn't cover it, but I had talked to some people beforehand. What the, It looks like basically just a few more bodies of what they've already, there's nothing new about federal local task forces. And, and I point out that those don't always go smoothly. If you remember, you had the Terrence Kellum case with the ICE shooting. Um, and a few months ago, I covered a series of stories about a uh, an informant for the DEA and the ATF. He went on to allegedly kill six people. And there was a big flap over whose informant he yep, was. Yep, I remember so that. Th th these are federal local partnerships. They go back decades. There's nothing new. It's just, I think, a lot of it's because Trump's doing it. That That's like a red flag to a lot of people. Um, I think a lot of it is just the idea here in Detroit. Feds, like I said, that invokes the... The, the vision of you have tanks rolling down cast. But if you really unpack it and look at what it is, it's a few extra agents working on things that they're already working on with these federal task force. That's the way I, it's an expansion, okay. he said, of the program they announced last year, just more agents to do it. So I don't watch a lot of local TV. Right. Um, what, I mean, I think what I've been reading in the comments and questions that I've been getting and people in my circles, you know, I think what's happening in Portland, people are scared of happening in other cities, especially sure. Detroit. But my sense is those kind of protests are not happening in Detroit. They're not. And so I know that we're having some violent crime. We're having some, um, you know, I talked to I talked to somebody running for city count uh, for a, a state rep seat today, and he you know he was talking about how these are retaliatory um, hits, a lot of them, and mm -hmm. um, they have nothing to do with the protests. They don't. So, you know, they're trying. I think people are trying to make it you know f feel like that that Portland the Portland chaos is coming to Detroit. You don't feel that way. You're saying you think it's just some extra bodies. No, I don't think at all. And in fact, they, they Mayor Duggan and, and Chief Craig and Schneider today according to what I heard on the radio, everybody now they're saying it of course, I, you know, what they say is not necessarily but they're they're stressing this has nothing to do with the protest. This has to do with crime in the area, you know. Okay. Again, having said that, that still makes people nervous, you sure. know, some people cuz Detroit is, you know, but 
I don't see, again, I'd have to see how this is going to look when the rubber hits the road, but when I'm reading and what I can see, I just don't, it's extra bodies of programs that have been here for, okay. you know. Is crime up in Detroit right now? Significantly, yeah. So uh, what, do you know any statistics? Yeah, uh, shoot, murder, homicides are up 31% from the same period last time, and shootings are up 50%, uh, you know. That's that's a lot. Significant, yeah. Um, there's a lot of fa- a lot of these are at parties. I've been trying to kind of look at them and see if I can smell out any trends or anything like. I've seen a lot of parties, multiple shootings. There's more than that than I've ever seen. Wow. Um, the chief says a lot of it has to do with COVID. Um, you're seeing it in cities across. This isn't unique to Detroit. New York's homicide rates up like 150 percent. The numbers are ridiculous. But what is the chief saying? Why is COVID well, causing this? You have a lot of people sitting at home, frustrated, nothing to do, and idle hands, devil's playground, maybe um, frustration, maybe. Now property crime is down because people are home. They're not breaking into homes because no one's going to work. You know, so so that's down. The car thefts, I believe, are significant down things of that nature um but then the violent crime is way up so you know okay well that's that's not obviously good news no. um you think that you think the city of detroit could use some help could get some extra bodies on the ground i mean is it your mindset that couldn't hurt well it depends on what they do i mean uh, we had a you know if, if you get a bunch of bodies on the ground you know i mean what's the physician's thing is that first thing do no harm um you know but i mean if they come if, if they come and they invest help investigate crimes and 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 that sort of thing the atf i think gave the biz, biggest um you know because they're going for guns that's the big push here and that's always that's another uh, area that's always a sticky wicket is is uh is, is proactive policing the idea that you want to get more guns off the street um you know i think most citizens want that but it's how you go about it it's the same as a stop and frisk or stop question and frisk mm-hmm. which is the more accurate description of it if that's done properly it's a good law enforcement tool um, if not done properly, it becomes a profiling situation. Um, so, you know what I mean? If you have, you know, the Terry uh, law, the Terry stop, if you have probable cause to stop somebody with a legitimate cause and you do stop them and you see they have a, you smell weed. So that enables you to search and you get three guns that are illegal. And these guys are wanted felons that, that I don't think any law respecting person would say they don't like that. But the question is when you start cutting corners and you got human people and that sort of thing. So. Gets into all those existential yeah. issues. You're bringing up Terry stops, bringing me back to my law school days. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like a gun. Yeah. I mean, if a cop uses a gun properly, that's a good law enforcement tool. If he if he miss if he abuses that tool, it can be deadly. I think that you can you can right. extrapolate that into almost every law enforcement tactic or piece of equipment. So you've been doing this over 20 plus years in Detroit. Uh, Chief Craig's been around since 2013. Generally, I I hear only high praise for him and that he is uh, turning uh, a once corrupt, once, I mean, use any adjectives you want, department. Um, what, what's your take on, on Chief Craig? Well, I'm still covering him, so I don't want, you know what I mean? I, I try to stay away from personal opinions. Okay. You know, um, I can tell you what I hear from people um, is that your assessment is what I'm hearing from most people. There are critics who say the biggest critic criticism of him is that he he loves the camera too much now he he he, i've asked him about that and he's told me many times he feels like it's his job to be on tv and he said if i don't advocate for the dpd who's going to it's interesting no that's a really good point george you know 
when I met him for the first time over a year ago, you know, he joked with me that I'm taking up too much camera time for him. Um, I, th- I find him very personable and I find his communication skills remarkable. Um, the police shooting that happened a couple weeks ago on the front lawn and I'm blanking on the kid's name. Um, Hakeem Littleton. Thank you. Um, when Mr. Littleton was shot, um, you know, they there was a panic that there was going to be rioting and protesting, and, and he released body cam footage to show it was a clean shoot in most people's eyes right. uh, quickly. Like, I couldn't believe how quickly he they, moved. They generally don't do that. No, I know. Can you fill, out, fill out that point. That's my point exactly. Within, it felt like an hour, he had body cam footage on TV, on the internet, uh, so people would not riot, and I thought it quelled the situation beautifully, but I'd like your take. I was out there at the, if you want to call it a riot, the unrest, whatever you call it, it was getting ugly. Was it? It was getting really ugly. Yeah. Um, uh, people were throwing things at the cops and, uh, you know, it, it was, it was getting, then they had them in riot gear. They were sort of advancing. Then they did a strategic retreat to kind of, it was interesting to watch, you know, just, but it, I was, I, I've been on this beat a long time and, and it gets pretty scary out there sometimes. You know, people are screaming. You got people like, you know, with, with these like anger, and you're looking around, and you got to, you know, it's it can be a little wow. unnerving. You know, I was there the first one where there was a shoot. A guy got killed like within 50 yards of where I was. I recorded a, a murder on my Facebook Live. I recorded it. I thought it was. I, I felt like a dummy. I'm like, that sounds like firecrackers. Because when there's buildings, you can't tell because the report kind of echoes of a gunfire, and it's hard to tell. I thought I said this sounds kind of like firecrackers. I was right down the street. A guy got killed. So yeah, it's crazy. Wow. It, I got you, you. You had the sound of the killing yeah. on your Facebook Live, oh, not yeah. the actual sh- visual. No, no, not the visual. No, I had the sound of it, and I was like, oh, what is this? You know, okay, and I, you know, it was wow. all live. It was which crazy. shooting was that? Ooh, that was a guy from East Point. They they said that it didn't have anything to do with the protest. It was a matter, you know, one of those things where the guy looks at a guy the wrong way, and oh you know, blah God. blah blah. There's so many of those, you know. That's scary. Yeah. So. What got you interested in wrongful convictions? Because that's definitely a focus of your podcast, Sins of Detroit. I know that you have a um, a passion for that, as do I. Tell me what got you into it. Well, I mean, you just hear these stories. As you're going about the crime beat, these come across your desk. There will be a wrongful conviction once in a while. And I have to be very careful not to be an advocate. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean... There are certain things I'm supposed to be, you know, I'm supposed to be down the middle and, and as a journalist, but come on, we can stipulate some things. Murder is bad. I don't think I'm editorializing too much by taking that stand, right? Um, you know, and convicting somebody who didn't com- commit the crime is bad. I don't think that, I, I don't think I'm, I'm uh, sacrificing nope. my journalistic objectivity by saying that. So it's just, I don't know, you just see these things and you talk to these guys and it just breaks your heart. Um, you know, one of the things I can say up front is that's remarkable is I get bitter when, you know, I lose out on 30 cents or something. If the guy gives me, you know, I, I, you know, I, I get I can't fathom how somebody can do 20 years. They didn't do the crime and they get out and they're not bitter as hell about it. And they just don't hate the world. Mm-hmm. It, if I, I think I think what it is, is when you get pushed to a certain and I'm just guessing here because I've not been in that situation. But you, and this is what they've told me. It's they make the choice that either I'm going to let this eat me alive and it's just going to destroy me as a person, or I have to not do that. So they're forced into a situation, I think, where, 
you know, if they, and there have been a few of them, sadly, uh, who have kind of got self-consumed by that, and they haven't done well upon getting out. Most of them are not in that category. Most of them seem to be adjusting okay, you know, and, and that, but it, it just, it's remarkable to me. I, I agree with you. Now that I've met at least two gentlemen who I've actually become friends with, um, and the fact that there is no bitterness, the fact that they want to help people, the fact that they, they don't have a lot of outward anger. Um, and, and then when you hear their stories, all you want to do is cry. All you want to do is scream. You want to fix the problem. Yeah. I'm, I sense that in your podcast. I sense that in your writing. And, and I'm with you. And there's, I don't think anybody with a heart who, who could hear these stories and, and, not, and not feel. So out of, I mean, you've covered all of them. And, I, and is there one that sticks out in your mind that's worse than the rest? They're all bad. Yeah. They're all the worst. Yeah. But is there one that has more to it or more twists and turns or m- more corruption um, than, any, than any other case that stands out to you? The Devante Sanford. I mean, in, in a lot of that, it was the age uh, when he was arrested at age 14. There are some, uh, th- but that one just has everything in it. It has just unbelievable... Uh, alleged corruption i have to be careful because no one's been convicted in a court of law here so i, I you know what i mean um, right. but just tons of allegations of these sort of things of just cynical knowing that you're doing wrong and burying the truth because simply because uh, according to the folks i've talked to they just don't want to be embarrassed i mean that to me to, to, that it, it blows my mind that you could sleep at night so i've dove into several cases um Devante being one of them you did an excellent job and you're too Two parts series, your two episode series of Devante Sanford's case on uh, Sins of Detroit, which is on all the podcast channels. Um, for the for the viewers and listeners who don't know who he is, can you give us a, a, a quick ish rendition as to uh, what happened, and then we'll talk about some of the crazy facts. Sure. Um, he was a 14 year old kid. He was blind in one eye. He used to get teased as a kid, and someone threw an egg at him, and the eggshell cut his eye. He was blind in his eye. Um, had a developmental disability, so he was kind of teased and things like that as a kid, small kid. Uh, lived on the east side of Detroit. So in September one night of 2007, there was a quadruple homicide in a drug house on Runyon Street, which was across basically down in the next block from where Devante lived. A lot of strange things going on here, uh, coincidences. It so happened that at the time of the killing, Devante was at the home of the, of 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 his his aunt who was dating bill rice who was the head of homicide and has since been convicted of his own uh, you know he, he was doing some financial stuff and drugs and you know so so interestingly enough he was at her house when the murder happened according to Devante, he was walking out there to see what was going on just being nosy saw the the tv trucks and and a cop approached him and asked him did he know anything and he says no they started talking and somehow he gets picked up. This part stipulated by everybody. Uh, uh, Michael Russell, who recently just resigned from DPD, by the way, a detect- homicide detective, and a commander at the time, James Tolbert, took this kid in the car and drove him around for three hours. This is stipulated by everybody. To me, that's incredibly, you know, if you know anything about how this works, a com- somebody that high up 
to spend three hours. I mean, a commander might come to a crime scene to deal with the media or maybe to be the quarterback for all the, but that's pretty high up. Even a captain or a lieutenant, generally speaking, isn't going to get their nails dirty like that. That would be the equivalent of saying the president of the company spent three hours uh, cleaning out the bathroom. It's like that doesn't usually happen, okay? A commander doesn't usually drive around with a suspect, 14-year-old, you know, for three hours in a car, but that's what everybody stipulates happen. So I'm getting too much into the weeds here. The upshot is, is he claims that he was tricked by the police into saying, you know, just say you did it. Give me something to get my boss off my back. I just need. And so, you know, they were playing, letting him play on the computer. They built his trust. This is all according to him. And he confessed to the crime. Uh, this is a fact. His first confession was not a confession. It's on video and I've watched it. And basically it's a cop saying well his first confession all the facts were wrong that's not on video the one that's on video isn't he never says anything in his own words it's just yeah or no it's the cop reading okay and so then this happened yes you know so so there never was a confession per se in his own words it was something that he stipulated to and one and this is a common theme in in criminal justice that that they will prosecutors will come in the police will come in and say if you want to go home, just say this. Just right. plead guilty to this, and I'll get you home. And a lot of times it's a lie, yeah. and a lot of times it's manipulation. And this kid who was in special ed classes, blind in one eye, probably didn't have the best self-esteem, probably wasn't the smartest kid in the world, uh, fell for it. Um, his his mother or grandmother, I think it was, said uh, gave the police alleged permission mm-hmm. to to do this alone without a lawyer. Um, without having a, a parent or grandparent present, which was a huge mistake. And the reason I'm going over some of these facts is if for the people who are listening, I you know I think it's helpful, George, to tell these stories sure. um, for people in the situation, for potential jurors, for everybody I- involved to know that this stuff is really happening and it's happening in Detroit and it's, ha- it's happened in the last 15 years and we're hoping it's not happening anymore, but... Yeah. Who the hell knows? But but with Devante Sanford, um, he confessed to a quadruple homicide that he did not commit. True? Well, prosecutors have not come out and said that he's innocent yet. But I mean, so they still won't go there. They 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 haven't said that. So it's not. It's kind of a strange situation, Mike, because you have people where the prosecutors and everybody stipulated they've dropped the case. They've you know they they let him out of prison. Yeah. Right. And they said, I mean, so why do they let him out of prison if they don't think, if because they think he they, did it? Because they say the case was tainted because the deputy chief or the commander who later was deputy chief, James Talbert, committed perjury. So they say, when we, I think it was Ed White from the AP, it wasn't my question, or maybe it was, I think it was Eddie. And he asked point blank, so are you saying Devante's innocent at the press conference of Kim Worthy announcing that she was dropping charges? She would not say that. She didn't, she wouldn't So to do this it. day, she hasn't admitted She's it. still not said that he's innocent, but she said that she couldn't continue to keep him in prison because the case was tainted because of- uh, What is she worried about? Why, 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 why can't she come out and say, yeah, we made a mistake? I, He's already I, gotten a state money. Yeah, I can't uh, step, I, I won't, spe- I don't like speculating. No, I, sure, yeah. But, I, but Rhetorical what's a guess? Sure. I mean, yeah. I can't even, you know, she has come out on other cases and said yeah. we made a mistake. Sure. I mean, maybe, maybe it's as simple as she doesn't, she honestly doesn't think there was a mistake. I don't know, you know. I do know that 
in my entire career, I've never seen a public official go from being um, not well liked in a community to getting lauded. Um, since she, you know she wasn't exactly, I don't think I'm I'm telling any state secrets here to say she wasn't the most popular person in the innocence community for years and years and years, right? But since she did that uh, that conviction integrity, you know, she's gotten a lot of praise from people yes, because of that. And Val Newman, Newman is well known in that community as being, you know, champion for these for these uh, wrongful convicted people. And and I think it was a uh, you know I guess I can editorialize say it was a good hire. I mean to I, I yeah you know. and we've praised her on this show for for doing the right thing oh, in certain wonderful. in do, well Val is yeah. for doing certain. Uh, letting certain people out. Do you know the count? How many people they've let out at this Ooh, point? Ooh, I just asked her too a couple of weeks. I think it was fifteen something. They're at like fifteen. That. Yeah, I believe. W- which is amazing. Yeah. But in this case, there are so many twists and turns, and I highly recommend you dive into Devante Sanford's case, and we'll we'll attach some links to uh, George's uh, materials on it. But two weeks after. Devante is found guilty, or is it two weeks after he was sentenced? After he went to prison. Okay. Two weeks after Devante Sanford went to prison, another man by the name of... Uh, Vincent Smothers. Vincent Smothers is a professional hitman who got caught and gave detailed accounts of 12 murders that he did to save his girlfriend who just had gave birth to his son days before. Am I saying it? Am I right? Yeah. A little girl, but I, <laughs> a little girl. Other facts okay. other than that are, right. are accurate. Yes. And, and the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office charged Mr. Smothers with eight of the 12 homicides and left off the four that Devante was sitting in prison for his entire life for. Right. They didn't charge him with those, despite the fact that he gave, in, in, in contrast to Devante's c- confession, which wasn't one, um, Smothers gave incredibly uh, accurate details, including the shell, the kind of guns used. The shell casings matched that. The shell casings there at that Runyon scene matched the casings for other hits for which they they prosecuted him. Okay, and he, then um, here's the kicker. He said, "You know what? My partner stashed the gun." at this house on Promenade Street. It's in his mom's closet up there. They went to the house on Promenade Street. There was the gun. Ballistics matched. Uh, that's an open and shutter if I've ever heard one, but it, they have not charged him to this day. It, it's, it makes no sense. Dave Moran did a really nice job of laying out the differences um, between the testimony, why Smothers was obviously the person who did it. They found the weapon. Um, he had accurate information about the crime scene where Devante had no information about the crime scene. It's one. I see why you picked this one out of the dozens and dozens of cases you've you've covered. That this one has so many twists and turns. Has Smothers ever been charged with these four crimes? No, and neither. When Michigan State Police in 2015, Kim Worthy convened them to do another look at this case. And at the end of that investigation, they submitted three warrants. One was for perjury for James Talbert. Uh, the other two were murder warrants for Vincent Smothers and his alleged accomplice, which was a guy named Ernest Davis. Nemo. Uh, Vito and Nemo, uh, they were their street names. So Vito was, was Vincent Smothers and Nemo was Ernest. Well, they never charged Ernest even after state police asked for it. So them never charging him, he went out and shot somebody else. And he was convicted for that. He was recently released from prison on that one. It was, it was a, so, I mean, I tried to get a hold of the uh, parents of the, of his other shooting victim. And I don't have to say alleged because he was convicted of that one. So they didn't charge him. He went out and shot someone else, you know, um, and despite, I think there's still open murder warrants for Vincent Smothers. They kicked it back for more work, 
to the Michigan State Police. I don't know specifically what more work they wanted, but I think the warrant is still open. They they still want to uh, charge state police detectives did an investigation and concluded that Vincent Smothers and Ernest Davis were guilty and they submitted warrant requests. And James Tolbert is no longer in the in the uh, law enforcement business, is he? Not that I know of. Most recently, he went to Highland Park and there were protests out there from folks. And, and I think they just he they, he resigned and I've not been able to. In fact, I reached out to him. Not I reached out to him for the podcast. I wanted if he will if he wanted to give his side, I would have been more than happy to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and same as Mike Russell, uh, I had a conversation with him. I've had a couple conversations with him. I said, you know, anytime you want to give your side, I don't have a dog in there. If you think that you're wrongfully, you're you know, I'm happy to put your side. I will attack uh, the story if you have proof. You know, as 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 uh, vehemently as I did the other one, as I I don't care. I just want a good story. You know, and if if it turns out that you're being wrongfully said that you wrongfully convicted somebody, tell me what you have to say. You know, and he won't come on. Well, no, I mean, uh, you know, nor will Tolbert. So, yeah, it's it's so maddening. Um, allegedly, what these guys did to uh, a 14 year old boy, and how many how many years did uh, he spend in prison? Uh, more than nine, like almost nine. I, I mean, if you listen to the stories and read George's stuff, it's impossible. What evidence did they have he committed these crimes other than a bullshit confession? Other than that, was there any physical evidence? There was blood on a shoe, supposedly, but it didn't match. And then that later on, they said it matched, but it it was really a strange. I had been I got some phone calls for people advocating for the officers in this thing, saying, "Look, man, there's new information." And I went and dug into it. I did a story. It was like, well, that's not exactly what you're saying. So there was blood on a shoe, supposedly, but that was it didn't ever turn. Here's what's interesting is is when Kim Worthy announced prior to, when she announced she was dropping the charges, she had a two hour press conference. And I highlighted that in in the, in, in the podcast. Um, and one of the things they did, it was interesting to see that they were they were trying to basically show everybody, look, we had evidence. We didn't just throw this kid in jail. It was a basically, hey, you know, so they're showing all the evidence they had. One of the things I didn't put this in the podcast. But one of the things they did was they had actually uh, animated uh, sort of a graphic to show that the footprints, the dog track and it goes to the house. And at the press conference, I said, excuse me, that's not true. I mean, I know this case like the back of my hand, right? They didn't go to his house. They went 350 feet down the street from his house. And I said at the time, I said, you're talking about the difference between home plate and left field home run at Comeric Park. To say that they went right to the dog track right to his house when the murder happened down the street, I think that's a bit disingenuous. It didn't go to his house. That dog tracked 350 feet away from that house. And again, if you want to put that in perspective, that's home plate to left field. That's a home run at Comeric Park. I wouldn't say that it walked right up to your house. Right. You know, that's not true. So, the, I mean, they put out this, and this was something, that, it wasn't a mistake. They put this out. They did a graphic, you know, uh, why they did that. I mean, I guess you'd have to ask them. I don't know. But, you know, there were a lot of things said at that presser that were questionable. They 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 spent a lot of energy to trying to convict a kid who had no physical connection to this crime. And, and he didn't, and one of the common themes in all of these wrongful convictions, talking to these exonerees, reading through these trials is lousy court appointed counsel. Sure. These people can't afford good lawyers. 
They're getting handed lawyers uh, through the state, uh, through the county, I should say, not the state. And um, do you remember the, his, the, the lawyer name? I do. And in fact, that's one of the, one of the misunderstood. This was not a court appointed. They retained him. It was Bob Slamica, Robert Slamica, right. who has since been disbarred. Um, they all, after they multiple, all get disbarred. Go ahead. I'm <laughs> sorry. I after no multiple uh, ethics violations, he was running his office out of the casino. <laughs> You're Gr- kidding me. No, the, 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 the the uh, the just tenor, whoever the attorney discipline board they wrote up a thing and said it looked like something out of Better Call Saul. <laughs> love it. Yeah. So I don't love it actually, but uh, but it's funny, um, kinda not for Devante. Yes, so they yeah, exactly. they they rustled up some money, paid this guy. Yeah. He was not a court appointed attorney, but he was obviously a lousy attorney. I think somebody said it was the worst attorney ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is he still alive? I believe so. He's not practicing, obviously. I tried to reach out to him multiple times, you know, through the years as he's been accused of this, that, and the other thing, and he's never given me an interview. And the only thing that he cared about was a plea. Well, that's what is, yeah, according to the mom, he was pressuring, and according to Devante, I talked to him, they kept pressuring, you know, you got to plead guilty. Just And Nolan Finley, one of our colonists, has done work on this. He talked a great deal about how in Wayne County they do that a lot. I mean, plea deals are what they do. And if you can, if you're an attorney, if you're and Bob Slamica does get a lot of appointments. And if you're, if you can make the, as Nolan said in his column, make the trains run on time. Get these guys to plead guilty. You'll keep getting appointments because right. you're allowing the system to keep going through. Well, you know, this is we're not moving cattle here. You know, these are people and their it, it's their lives. You know, um, but but the pressure is on to plead guilty. They just don't have. They, they say they don't have enough people to adjudicate every one of these cases. So Slamica, according to the family, was hot and heavy on. And what he told them is, look. There's no way you're a black kid. You're going to get an all-white jury. There's no way they're not going to convict you, and you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison. You're only 14, and I'm cool with this judge. This is what Devante told me that the, his lawyer told him is, I'm tight with this judge. We're real good friends. You ain't gonna get, you're only going to get maybe 10, 9, 10 years. You know, you'll be you're 14. You'll be 24. You won't even be 30 when you get out, or you're facing life, and you will get convicted. Well, you know, you get an unsophisticated kid. And and the mom who's mom, not sophisticated. Yeah, yeah at the time, she, she's open about it. She had a drug problem at the mm. time. She's very open. She she talks about it. She doesn't hide. She says she was dealing with it. And in fact, this, she says, this this is what slapped her in the face. And she says she needed to get her stuff together. I mean, mm. She had a tough life herself. I mean, she, she got burned really badly. Um, there's all kinds of you know, She's had a tough way to go as well. And, you know, she, she got hooked on drugs. As she, when her kid went to prison, I think she, sa- she says that that focused her to get off the drugs. And her focus then became to get her kid out of prison. You know, and then she did. She, she was, you know. She was an advocate. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. Well, you, have to, you, you have to, you know. You have to bring these cases to people's attention so people can get angry. And that's what happened, right? I mean, yeah. she they got the attention of the University of Michigan uh, Innocence Clinic. Yeah. Um, and that's not necessarily an easy thing to do. The first ones, I think, was the uh, Sato picked this up. Was the Sato first, did? Yeah, they were the first one. And then, then it got They to brought the, in the Innocence Clinic. Yeah, uh, the, but yeah, the Sato, I think, was... Because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, what happened there is one of the attorneys... And it was a woman, forgive me, I can't remember her name, and I should, um, but she got a tip from one of the cops who was a good cop. That's one thing I always say about police corruption, things like that. I'll tell you who tells me about police corruption. It's the good cops. You know, I mean, they, they, they hate, they don't like it. They, I get tips all the time from the good cops. What was the tip in this case? Because I remember your podcast. That Vincent Smothers had, hey, someone, oh, right. else, someone else confessed to this, and they're not charging him. 
you know, uh, yeah, that was, and then she held a press conference. If I'm, if memory serves, this is, you're going back 15 years or so, this is 2008 ish. But yeah, she had a presser and, and that, I think she got the tip because they wanted to bury that. That's the thing is when he confessed, they were like, okay, let's don't, that's why, according to everybody I've talked to about him, most of the advocates of the innocence advocates, the theory is they didn't want him, Vincent Smothers, to stand trial. They didn't want anyone knowing he had confessed to these four killings because then the question is, but you just, here's what I don't understand. There were clearly two people there, right? They're two different shell casings. So why, the part I don't understand about this is let's, let's, let's unpack the theory that they didn't want to be embarrassed for having wrongfully convicted a kid. There were two people there. So why couldn't they say, hey, okay, Vincent Smothers, you did it too, but we believe Devante did it. You know, maybe that didn't run with his the confession they had convicted him on. I don't know. You now, know, Kim Worthy was the prosecutor when this happened when he was when he pled guilty. Ooh, yes, she yes she was prosecutor because she, she's been in since when? Oh, three ish. Okay, I think. so she's already been there five years. Because you know that's one of the most troubling things about this Devante Sanford case. Two weeks after he's sent to prison, they found the real killer. And it took nine years to get him out. So with, like with overwhelming evidence. Overwhelming yeah. evidence. Yeah. So like I mean, I'm not I don't know Kimworthy. I, I I'm not even gonna speculate anything about her right this second in this story. But imagine you have a I mean, she denied it in her press conference, um, but you have a person admitting to the crime, the four crime the four murders. Um, having giving them detailed information about the guns, they were accurate information. Devante did not have the accurate information. He gave the wrong makes and models of the guns. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Smothers had the right information, plus lots of details. So, so this person's two only two weeks in prison. Like you could have gotten him out that day and saved him nine years, and yeah, you would have had some egg on your face. Yeah. Um, and instead, they buried the four uh, confessions. They charged him with eight other crimes. If a good cop would not have sent it to people like you, this would have stayed buried. True? You know, yeah. And you know, my next question then, and I'm sure it's yours, is how many of these, how many people are sitting in prison? I mean, can you, and here's something interesting. Gabby Silver, who was uh, Vincent Smothers' attorney, told me that Vincent told her this is the worst place you can't even imagine how bad it is in prison. She said, and he told her, and I did it. I admit that I killed people. I belong here. Can you, he says, I can't even fathom how terrible this place must be when you didn't do it. You know. So have you ever talked to Vincent's mothers? No, I tried a couple times. But That'd no. be an interesting yeah, I've uh, interview. I've, so believe me, I tried. Um, I was trying to see if I talked to him somewhere in there, but no, not him. Because uh, according to your podcast, you got your sen- you got the sense that he felt bad for Devante. Yeah, it's kind of he's just kind of a strange. He's a really <laughs> Vincent's a really interesting character. I would love to interview him. In fact, he uh, he was he supposedly was a hitman with a conscience, but he killed Rose Cobb. That was the one time supposedly that he went outside of only killing dope dealers. He killed the um, who's Rose Cobb. Rose Cobb was the wife of, of Sergeant David Cobb, a Detroit police officer. One of the many, many, many. Uh, uh coincidences and if if i could do a quick side thing um we only had two podcasts if you want a deep deep dive into all the crazy stuff i did something right when Devante got out of prison and in fact 
Uh, if I could sidetrack a little bit here, I had gotten a tip. The MSPs was about to, t- you know, I got a lot of sources. I got a tip from one of my sources. MSPs about to drop this report, and they're going to say that Devante didn't do it, and that Vincent Smothers and, and Ernest Davis are the ones, you know. And, and so, and the, I see, then a few days later, I got a tip that Tolbert was about to be charged with perjury. So I told my boss, it, but this was going to get this was this wasn't going to get dropped for another month. I had a month advance, so I told my boss, I said, "Look, I got a tip here, okay." Let give me a couple weeks off. Let me put together a comprehensive website because there's so many coincidences and threads and webs in this thing. And they did to their credit. And it, we had a we had it cocked and loaded. We didn't know he was going to get out of prison, so they let him out of prison. So we had this nice. So it's called the uh, Devante Sanford's Road to Freedom. If you look that up, you'll you'll be able to find it. But what, it's just so many so many cops around this thing. It's like, hmm, this is interesting. I'll give you a quick one. So. Rose Cobb was the wife of Sergeant David Cobb. David Cobb was seeing a woman named Sheila Black. You know, she was, he was having an affair with her, right? So they decided that, uh, that they wanted to kill the wife and collect her insurance money uh, or 401k, that sort of thing. So on the day after Christmas, uh, I believe it was 2007, uh, Vincent Smothers, he admitted this. He, there, it was a, uh, there's a CBS on Jefferson there, um, a little bit east of, of uh, downtown. And went in there, and, and the husband went in the store. The wife said, it's all planned. You know, he walked up to her and, and, and killed her. So I, there's so many coincidences here. So Sheila, his, his uh, Vincent's accomplice in that case was a kid named Marzell Black, 18-year-old kid, Sheila Black's son. Apparently, Sheila Black and the cop, David Cobb, asked her son, hey, you know anybody that'll kill somebody? And Marzell said, yeah, there's this guy I play basketball with, uh, Vincent Smothers. So he hooked it up. He went and helped him, and he got convicted of, of a comp, you know, of doing this. They were poor. Um, you know, the Black family was poor. They had a house on the east side that the porch was not on. It didn't have steps. You know, it was, it was ripped off, so you had to go along the side. It was run down. These people were poor. I'm trying to stress this. Do you know who represented? I, I probably shouldn't go there. Let me just put it this way. A couple really, really high-powered attorneys represented Marzell Black. If it's all public record, who okay, the hell? Okay, Todd Flood and Gerald Evelyn. Okay. And, and I was like, really? How, how did he afford? Why? So what's your theory? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, you know it's so, interesting. Uh, you know, so high-powered, good defense attorneys represented Marzell. At who, the initial, yeah. And then it's just weird. It was a strange. I saw them. I was like, that's weird. There's so, again, Devante being at the house of the head of homicide at the time that a homicide happens. Um, you know, there's cops all through this thing. It's like, that's interesting. Does that mean anything? I don't know. Um, not only the homicide cop, but a dirty homicide cop who ended up getting convicted. I mean, there, there's a lot of coincidences here, you know, just a ton of them. It, it, it's, it's maddening. Uh, we interviewed John Shea last week, who's on the Michigan uh, Indigent Defense Commission, um, who, who, you know, they're setting up training for everybody who's going to take appointments in 12 to 16 hours. I talked to Shantae Parker last week, who's running the um, new Wayne County Defender's Office. Um, and, and they're all hopeful that, that these type of situations are going to go away, um, with better training, better defense attorneys, more oversight. Um, what, what are your thoughts? You think that, uh, these types of, these types of railroading, um, are still happening or you think that things are getting better? 
well, I think things are getting better, but I also think they're still happening. Um, you got human beings involved. So anytime you have, you're going to have an imperfect, it's an imperfect system. Uh, you can put things in place, and I believe they have been uh, checked. I asked Chief Craig in great detail about this, and, and one of the things I can say, I think, objectively, is there was not much accountability. I started on the beat in 98. That was the Wild West days, you know, and that it later came. All the problems that, that necessitated the consent judgments. The This happened to a buddy of mine. I lived in southwest Detroit at the time, and a buddy of mine. This speaks to the wrongful convictions because one of the first episode I did of that podcast was about shaky witnesses. Witnesses have put so many people in prison wrongfully. So my buddy, and they were hanging out in southwest Detroit, and a buddy, their friend, his name was Fidel, he looked like Fidel Castro, Mexican cat. So they're all hanging out, a couple buddies of mine, and there's a knock on Fidel's door there in his garage. And my friend John, he was about to uh, go out in the alley to, to you know, relieve himself, uh, frankly. And he, he was there. He said, you want me to open the door? He'd just come back, and he said, you want me to open it? And Fidel said no. So Fidel opens the door, and they, they light him up blew him the blood everywhere so my friend and my other friend arturo they're completely traumatized by this right they, they just witnessed a murder the guy's head on ski masks you know and they died behind a, a couch right and so they called the police the police come the police arrested them and held them this is what they did they would arrest witnesses and hold them for like days weeks and these guys were held almost two days. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't even, the cops weren't saying they did anything wrong. What they were trying to get them to do, according to my friend, and I believe him, why would he lie to me? He, he told me this when it happened. They were trying to get him to pin the murder on a guy they wanted to pin it on. And they kept saying, you know, it's him, isn't it? It's him, isn't it? And they're like, no, the guys had ski mad. We don't know who they were, you know? So, so, and this has happened to friends of mine. So, you know, I mean, that was what DPD was like back in those days. You know, there was a lot. No, again, again, we're not throwing everybody under the bus, but it's certainly that was the culture there. There was a, there was a culture where that was allowed. You, we keep hearing stories like this in every one of these wrongful conviction cases. There's some police, <laughs> there's some police officers, detectives who want this conviction and they want it pinned. Like in 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 Kenny's case, when they put uh, Kenny Winenko's case, when they put the um, McCormick in a, in a room with the police report uh. and said, "We're going to shave." A lot of years off your sentence. Read the report, and you're going to help us. I mean, I, you got to wonder how people sleep at night. You know, I mean, we're nobody's perfect, and we all, you know, cut corners here and there, and we do things maybe that we're not 100 percent proud of. You know, and that sort of thing. But you, you got to wonder. You know, if especially okay, here's how a lot of the cops justify this. Well, he's a piece of crap. If he didn't do this, you know, you'll get a guy with a long, lengthy record in many cases. Um, and well, if he didn't do this, then he, he did, did something else. Yeah. So we don't have that much cognitive dissonance about it. Okay, that's that's bad as it can be by itself. But it just you got to wonder when you get a guy that's completely innocent, right. is not a bad actor like Kenny. Kenny, not to say the other guys are bad actors, but some of them were selling dope. Kenny, Devonte, Aaron Salter, yeah. Yeah, they just got out of college. Aaron was a football player. He's not out causing problems. Yeah, I mean, some of these guys were dope dealers and whatnot. Oh, it's the other guy, uh, Kendrick. They weren't doing anything. Um, One of the big ones that spent 34 years is uh, Daryl Siggers. He said, you know, he smoked a little weed, but I mean, he he had no record. He, no, that's he's a horrible kinda, case yeah, too. I mean, that guy, and he's one of the most. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's just a powerful guy. His voice is powerful. His emotion. He conveys perfectly you know what that's like what and and then you know it again it, it blows my mind and it's 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 an honor to know these guys I agree. It, it really is it, you got guys that went through that 
and they're still standing tall. You know, they're still standing with their head held high. You know, I tip my cap to them. Yeah. You know? No, no. Listen, I do too. And, and that's why I am committed to doing lots and lots of podcasts about them, about their stories. Everybody needs to hear these stories. Yeah. Everybody needs to meet Kenny. Uh, I had him here talking to a group of my lawyers two weeks ago, um, and he's he's an inspiration. Yeah, he's these guys, these guys, these are, guys are great. And watching them get second chances, like um, Aaron Salter just had a baby, uh, Ava, and um, just hearing the joy in his voice. And um, I talked to you know I talked to a gentleman in uh, prison doing life that uh, we are considering helping which i'll talk to you off the record about um you know he has hope to get out because he didn't says he didn't do what he did the evidence looks that way and he wants to have more children and 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 you know i want to help i want to help you know just find the truth find justice get them new trials if if the trials had bad attorneys and bad evidence and um because i'm seeing murder cases two three four days I mean, an auto case takes that long. Yeah. How how is a murder case going to with 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 a and it, you read these transcripts, and you know a ten year old could have done a better job at cross examination. I'm sure you see that all the oh, time. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, sometimes you, it's really bad. <laughs> you wonder, it's like, hello, I, I want to judge. I'm right. sitting in there. It's like, hello, you're yeah. not asking any questions. <laughs> it, it, it's mind blowing. I have so many more things I want to talk to you about, but. It, it, we could go through every one of these cases and maybe we should eventually, you know, dive deep into the cases like we just did with Devante Sanford. And we didn't, we just scratched the surface with him. Yeah. We didn't even get into the details. <laughs> yeah. That case is mind blowing and, and upsetting and, and sad. Um, but before I let you go today, I want to talk about facial recognition because you've been you've been writing lots of articles about that right. and about the police using it and they're arresting the wrong people. Um, you know, is that is this here to stay, or or what's what's going to happen with with uh, facial recognition? Well, at, at where it stands now in Detroit is the contract was up for renewal a, a couple days ago, actually, and they took that off the table. They want more discussion. I think they're going to try to. I don't know whether it's going to get passed in this environment. Uh, it got unanimously passed, I believe, the first time when they bought it. To use it. To use it yeah. on city council. And they had a hearing, and there were questions asked about the uh, privacy issues and, you know, the obvious issues that someone might ask, and it got approved. But now I think I think they're trying. They pulled it up. They, it was going It was going to come up to for a vote earlier this week or last week. And where it stands now is they took the vote off, and they're just going to have more discussion. But I think what they want is they're trying to garner public support for it uh have more hearings that meetings etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, but we'll see that's where it stands okay um but it's you know obviously do you it think it's a, a useful tool or do you think it's uh well I, again i think what well, i don't know if we were on the air when we discussed this earlier or not but it's i think it's the same as i said the analogy that a, is a gun a useful tool if it's used properly is is a gun a useful law enforcement tool you know is 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 you know if it's used properly, yes, it is. And I guess the one of the questions I asked some of the officials is, is there a point? Let's say they do renew this and it continues to be an issue. And there's, okay, it, it, you say that it's useful as a law enforcement tool. Is there a point, though, where you're expending so much energy defending it? You know, you only have finite resources. Is there, is there a point? where it's no longer the the yin overtakes the yang and it's no longer it's more of a pain in the butt than it is useful but yeah it's a very useful tool when used properly real quick one of the 
here's one of the things I, I don't know if I've ever covered an issue in my entire career that gets mis, more misunderstood than this one. Um, the question, we're not talking about the privacy issue. Let's take that off the table. That's that's by itself. And that's a whole different thing. Sure. The issue of whether or not it flags people of color more. It's bone structure. First of all, it's not skin tone. So there's that. That's the first my analogy would be if I were to take a car on uh, in the auto factory and I take it off the line at the first step, okay, you only have the frame. I get behind the wheel and I say, this thing doesn't run. Let's scrap this whole car project. It doesn't work. That's the analogy. I use. Yes, at the front end of it, it does flag people, black people, you know, uh, Hispanic more often. There's more steps in the program, uh, in the process to make sure that you don't just say, hey, look, there's, a, you know, it flagged that guy, go arrest him. That's not how it works. There's there's like 10 more steps that have to get taken to mitigate if that happens, you know. So, I mean, it's just, I don't know if people don't want, they, they will painstakingly explain that. And then someone's next question will be something that shows they clearly didn't listen to what they just said. Right. You know, it's like, so I don't know if they don't want to hear it. And again, there's privacy issues there. I'm not taking a stand on whether it's good, bad or other. I'm just saying that there's a lot of misinformation that goes out about this, you know, and you know, the privacy issue, you can get into that. People are talking about abolishing green light. What's interesting is, is that the same, some of the same public officials who are now saying that they should abolish green light were very recently advocating for green light because their constituents wanted it. Um, so I don't see the problem. Explain to me the pro what are the what are the problems with green light? So I, I toured green light uh, at uh, headquarters a couple of years ago already now, okay. and um, I you know saw the operations room. You're talking about the real time crime center. Yes. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, I didn't know the technical name. Sorry, of it. yeah, but, no, but I don't they, mean to sound like a know it no, all. No, 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 yeah. but but they were very proud of it, and yeah. they wanted to show it to me, and I was there for a meeting, yeah. and um, I thought, you know, basically what I saw were cameras uh, on establishments that wanted cameras, yeah. extra lighting. They had this green light to show that this is kind of a safe zone, and they thought it would promote business and promote safety. Um, they also showed how they had real live, real live eyeballs right. watching it at all times that if a crime happened, they have it on tape. They could send police right to the scene and say, oh, it was a red car, blah, 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 these plates. So I didn't see privacy issues when I was there. But well, I mean, it's in the, you see the green light, you can choose not to go in there. I, I guess some people could say that, hey, I live in, I don't have a car or something, I'm poor, I live in this area and my only choices, and I don't wanna be, you know, my only choices to go to this nearest green light, grocery store, say. I mean, I'm theorizing. What the big, the biggest criticism I've heard of it, and I did a story about this, is some merchants say, wait a minute, I'm already paying taxes. You know what I mean, for police protection. These guys pay extra money, they get extra protection. You know, that was the thing. Okay. I talked to the police about that and they explained that no, it's not extra protection. And they, it's neighborhood police officers who will go in there and sign a log book. But that's part, they're not police. They're, it's a neighborhood police officer situation. So it's not really. And then one of the merchants who complained about something and told me something happened, DPD showed me the record and that's not exactly how it went down. So I did a follow-up story to correct the record. You know, yeah. again, if a hundred years from now somebody reads it, then. But I know, I know that they're, you know, they had to pay for the cameras and they have to pay some more electricity and they have to pay to have the right computer hookups and Wi-Fi or whatever it is. Right. So there's some extra cost to the merchants. Sure. But is it the merchants complaining or, or are people complaining? 
I mean, it's a small piece. First of all, complaints are small. It's, it's a pretty popular program okay. from what I can see, but there's a vocal people who are complaining about it. But I mean, I think it's just, I think it's the privacy thing. I think it's the idea that you got cameras. You know, again, you're talking about the same with the federal troops that we talked about earlier. The notion that people are filming you is scary. I get it. Yeah, I'm a privacy guy too. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want an eye everywhere I go. I don't want people knowing what stores I visit or that sort of thing. But, you know, so I get it. I get mm -hmm. the privacy concerns, but, you know, I mean, they're not harvesting data they're not they're not keeping this stuff i don't you know that's the big thing is they're not with the facial recognition they're not harvesting this stuff and keeping you on record or something so i just got a um a text message asking this question does the project green light use facial recognition is that are those cameras facial recognition um no that was a mis enabled? that was a misunderstanding it's they use cameras from project green light Let's so say so. It's not they're they're just there's there's no facial recognition in the cameras. It's software that's just in the cameras. Yeah, it's cameras. So if you walk into a green light location and rob somebody, boom, you know your image will be used from that. But but it's not they're not intertwined that way where the the where the 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 cameras in the stores have facial recognition on them. And again, one of the one of the other things that gets. And uh, again, from a privacy concern standpoint, yeah, I have an issue if I'm walking around and I go in even a green light and they're facial recognizing me and using that and running me through the system. That's not what they're doing. What they're doing is if there's a violent crime, again, one of the misunderstood elements of this is if there's a crime at that location, they will go over the tape. Oh, and when they see the actual crime being committed, they're not gonna they're not gonna run the faces of everybody who walked in there just to they might maybe if there's a few people that look like they might have been an accomplice, you know. But it's not a matter of let's just run everyone who walked in there. It's oh we got okay, that's where the crime happened. Let's take his picture. Now we'll run it through the sure. software and see if there's any matches in, in the you know, so again, they, I understand the privacy concerns, mm -hmm. but I don't I think they're they're I don't think they apply here. I just don't. Okay. Well, I think, I mean, because you, you mentioned that people are trying to get them to disband it, and uh, that seems that seems strange. But let's leave it at that for now. Um, I know we have lots more to talk about, so I'm going to have to have you come back, George, if you would. Maybe we can do it in person. We could do Zoom if you're busy. But I learned a lot today. I appreciate you bringing up everything you did. I appreciate, you know, your reporting. Um, anybody who doesn't know can follow George hunter at the detroit news check out sins of detroit you have a couple books tell yeah. me about your books oh golly i wrote one on the Tara grant uh case that was in 2007 where he uh stephen grant dismembered his wife and uh and took through her body parts in the uh in the park kind of a gruesome case and i did one on the bob ashera case master bob with the sex dungeon and all my wife and i lynn rosenthal wrote that one and then my most recent one actually the first one i wrote with an editor of mine who loved true crime and wanted to be a true crime so i said let's do one together you know and now this one was if one i wrote by myself it's about the tigers which is i said i'm a big baseball fan and and it's about and i'm a crime guy you know so tigers and crime crime and mayhem and it's called uh Oh Lord, what's this? Crime and mayhem in Detroit Tigers gone wild. Oh, so people could find all those on Amazon. Yeah, on Amazon. Well, congratulations. Bookstores near you. That's. Are there any bookstores left? I think. Uh, yeah, I just I had a book signing at one. Was it not B Dalton? What is it? Uh, I can't think of it. Yeah, there is a few. There's a few left. John King's still down there John too. John King. Yeah. Are you selling your books down there? Well, I, uh, I hope not yet. You know. <laughs> 
right those are used yeah right (laughs) that would be uh yeah that wouldn't be great Um, five copies for your mother oh i'm buying listen (laughs) i i got my uh christmas presents all picked out this year that's uh that's amazing um and again, Sins of Detroit, I love that you told me before we went on the air that, that the great music uh, George wrote and, and produced for the Sins of Detroit, he did the whole thing in a couple weeks, which I thought was awesome. Um, and I hope you do, I hope uh, I get to hear season two coming up uh, whenever you have time and whenever you have, uh, you know, the, the stories to, to do it. Um, but it, it sure sounds like you're not going to have a lack of stories here no, in Detroit. I, I, content's never a problem right. when, when you're covering crime in Detroit. Let's leave it at that. Thanks, George. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you for watching another episode of Open Mic. Today we had George Hunter on, the longtime columnist for the Detroit News, The Crime Beat. He's been covering everything under the sun for the last 20 plus years. We got into Devontae Sanford's case and the Detroit Police, Project Greenlight. Lots of good stuff. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it on your social media channels. Somewhere around my head, you're going to see a subscribe button. Subscribe, share, like, comment. Send me a text message, email on stories that you'd like to hear in the future, and we'll keep bringing, we'll keep bringing open mic to you, so please keep listening. Thank you.